Welcome to Wildly Queerious, Episode 5. I am Dr. Corinne Bota. And I am not a Dr. Brittany. Not a Dr. Brittany. So, uh, a, couple day, a couple days late. Sorry for our 11 loyal listeners. So many. <laughs> There's so many of you. But what can I say? We're doing this for us, not for you. So well, I'm surprised there's that many. I feel like we should have zero. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I don't know who these 11 people are. <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> today, uh, one of the things that's kind of been on my mind a lot lately, um, maybe less so about, you know, all the negative news out there for the queer population. Which but is just more of the same. It really is more of the same. I think... If you don't know by now that the queer population's under attack, then you have been in a cave. Um, I hope it's a nice cave, wonderfully decorated. High speed Wi-Fi. Well, and hopefully that cave is in the right state too. So that's uh, that's one of the things we want to talk about as well, for sure. Is basically where you live and and how it affects you and how it affects you live your life. And so I thought we would talk a little bit about. Um, I think each of us are going to kind of tell you about where we've lived in the past and maybe how that's affected our own lives and, and ways that it's affected our lives. So do you want to go first? Or do you want me to start up? Um, <clears throat> you can go. Okay. So I was raised in Southern California in Orange County. I was raised next to Southern California. You were raised next to Southern California. <laughs> we were technically kind of neighbors. Okay. <laughs> just from a state perspective, we were neighbors. Just a quick, you know, four minute hour drive. So this has less to do, my upbringing, at least for this first part of the story, has less to do with where I lived than it does with when I lived. Um, so as as a child growing up, I grew up in the 80s and early 90s. And and for a hot second, the 70s. For a very hot second, the 70s. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm just so amused with myself. <laughs> I don't know why. So uh, I, I really, I think my story kind of starts in high school. And by high school, I already knew I was... Queer, but I didn't necessarily have a word for it. You know, the community was small. I didn't have access to other queer people. Um, and in my high school, like, no one was out. Was, that wasn't a thing for people to be out in, in high school. And so I don't think growing up in Southern California, that era, so much where I lived was problematic. It's just, again, kind of when I lived. And it's been interesting now since then to learn that so many people I went to high school with are gay, are trans, are queer, are lesbian, are whatever. But we just didn't, we didn't know at the time. Legitibiquois. Legitibiquois. Which, which is LGBTQ. Yeah. For those who don't speak French. Does not French. But I remember, I remember still in high school, um, towards maybe my sophomore, or, or really when I could start driving myself around, I was able to go out in the more in the community. I was able to find clothes that were more me and I would go into stores. And I remember people were kind of friendly more or less when I went into stores. Um, so perhaps the area was a little more, more affirming than I thought. But then when I turned 16, I moved to Utah and Utah was a lot less affirming and by less affirming, I don't I mean, there was no one affirming in the mid nineties, but it was, 
there was definitely a lot more intense um, oppression. There was a more intense language. The people you were surrounded with would openly say things that were retroactively, we know, are just kind of harmful, homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic. So wait, so would you say that California was maybe like neutral, where people weren't necessarily overly supportive, but nobody was like overtly negative either? Yeah, I, I would say so. <laughs> and I mean, Which is part of the time period, but also I think if you're comparing California to Utah, maybe California is neutral. Maybe. Maybe. California was also meaner, though. And what I mean by that is, especially in high school, like you heard words tossed around like derogatory terms towards the queer community all the time. They were used as insults. You still see them today. But those were used much more prevalently. When I got to Utah, it was less it was less that and it was more just the indoctrined language of Utah. It was more just the um, we're going to be kind to your face. But if you're anything other than different, you're going to be excluded. Like you'll have no contact. More of a shaming, shunning kind of situation. So I'm. what I'm still hearing, though, is that because in the 80s and 90s, it was common to use like the F word. Yeah. To describe like it was just that was a thing that place. people did. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in Utah, because maybe they're more religious, they're not going to use that word. Yeah, perhaps. And definitely where I was in Utah was I was in a suburb south of Salt Lake, enough so that it was strongly LDS, strongly Mormon. And high school was strongly Mormon. And it was, um, yeah, people were generally nice um, to your face. But as soon as you strayed outside that line, it was, no, you're problematic. You don't belong. We're just going to shun you. And so um, I lived there for a couple of years and then I got back to California um, and again, I, it really does have to, have to do with time period where in the, um, now we're in the late nineties, people just weren't out yet, at least not in the circles I was running in or the communities I was living in. Now, for those of you listening who maybe lived in like super affirming places, uh, maybe a lot more people were out, maybe like people who grew up in the Bay area or people who grew up in Los Angeles, even, or more of the metro kind of places, maybe people were out. I don't know. I don't have that experience. But I know that until I was uh, in my mid-20s, the concept of other people being, like, out just it wasn't commonplace for me. And so, really, uh, in my mid-20s, I was back in Utah. I was married. And, again, there was nowhere that was affirming or unaffirming so much as it was... Um, my life at that point was, was a lot less open. I just adopted a, a narrative that wasn't my own and living in Utah was really hard uh, because anytime I strayed from that, there was a problem. It was that same thing from high school left over where if I were to be slightly more feminine or if I wanted to um, express myself a little, just a little more liberally, um, there was definitely a kind of that negative reaction from people right away. Like, oh, what are you doing? That doesn't fit this mold. And there's a problem with that. So from there, uh, left Utah, moved to Colorado. And it was interesting because when I moved to Colorado, uh, all of a sudden people, even within the same like religious communities or the suburb areas that are more conservative, they were a little more open to, oh, you can be different and that's fine. Like it, it, there were, I felt safe enough here in Colorado 
that I could come out and actually kind of be myself. And I would never have done that had I lived in Utah. And I probably would have done it if I had lived in California. But there was something about being in Colorado and having the safety of one laws that protect me, but then also a community that was more open to difference. And so that's kind of my story in that, you know, the places where I lived and definitely later in my life where I lived affected my ability to be out and to exist. Um, from here, from Colorado, I moved back to California to finish up my doctorate, worked in Long Beach where places were very affirming, very opening, very welcoming. And then after I met you, we moved to Orange County. And Orange County is interesting because it's one of the last kind of strongholds of Republicanism in California, maybe Northern San Diego County. Um, in California or just in like Southern California? No, because in, I know, in, no, in Southern I know California. of a city yeah. called Bakersfield. Yes. And I would put money on Bakersfield that they're more conservative. Yes. No, I think I think you're completely right. As far as Southern California is concerned. Poor Bakersfield. I heard a joke about it when I was at Disneyland and that's why I bring it up. It was a great joke. I can't recreate it, but that's why I'm picking on Bakersfield. And, and it's true. When we think about California and, you know, conservatism to the extreme, um, definitely that central California Valley, Modesto, Bakersfield, Fresno, um, there's definitely more conservative there. But we went back to Orange County, which was one of the last kind of Republican strongholds uh, in Southern California for Republicanism. And even when you think about Huntington Beach, Huntington Beach is where you see a lot of these um uh, proud boy, um, white supremacist type rallies. There's a real strong element there, but we didn't live up there. We lived down in Tustin and Tustin where we lived was, um, highly Asian, highly uh, high Asian population. And though it was conservative, I don't think we felt any negative. I don't think we felt any negative, you know, effects of being in a conservative area. I think there was something there about you just go along and get along. And that, that exists in a lot of places where um, you have people from different political parties that just don't want that fight. And so they just kind of stay neutral and say, you do you. And I think we experienced that back in California. So that's kind of my background coming into this topic a little bit about where we lived and how it affects us and how it affects where we're coming from. So I was wondering, do you want me to show your story about where... I feel like so much of what you're saying, though, is era-specific, not location-specific. It could be, but why don't you talk about Las Vegas and, like, the school districts and growing up there and how that maybe affected things? But I don't necessarily... Here's the thing is, I don't necessarily know if Las Vegas was any different from any other place, because I only ever grew up there. And, again, it was a time where it's like, you know, the thing that you know about queer people is like, oh, the lesbians are on color guard. You don't know who the lesbians are, but they're on the color guard squad. And I don't know why color guard attracted all the lesbians, but that was my extent in high school of like knowing who could be gay was that the lesbians are on color guard. The softball team didn't tip you off? No, that wasn't like, I don't know. It just, it wasn't on my radar. And I played softball for a while, not in high school, earlier on, <laughs> but I don't know. Like it just wasn't. It wasn't really a thing that was like super talked about it. But again, it was again, like 90s, early 2000s stuff is still just kind of happening. And 
I didn't know, I wasn't necessarily aware in high school of whether my state or the city like skewed liberal or skewed Republican. You know, I didn't even have my own political beliefs then. I kind of just was like, oh, my parents say that this thing is good. So, you know, maybe this thing is good. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know. But I wonder, too, how much of that is just the era versus the geography. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you live, where you grew up, where you moved to, and maybe some of your experiences there. I grew up in Vegas. And, uh... Did you get the messaging growing up in Vegas that it was okay to be out? No, but I don't know if that was from Vegas. Like, here's the thing. It's so patchy that I don't know where any of the messages came from. Like, I grew up going to Catholic Church. So could I have gotten messages there? Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Could I have gotten messages because, hush, hush, we don't really talk about the lesbians on Color Guard? Like, we know they <laughs> exist, but we don't really talk about them. Like, yeah. But I don't have enough memory to be able to be like, oh, yeah, this is what, you know, this is how I understood sexuality or gender because I don't know where that understanding would have come from. Let me put it this way. When you were growing up in Las Vegas, did you see a lot of queer people around? Mm, probably not. I mean, the color guard. But I don't... <laughs> outside of high school. Like, outside of the school or, like, yeah. outside of those years? No, outside of the school. Like, just around town. Did you feel a strong queer influence there? No, probably not. Yeah. But, like, where is there a strong queer influence in the late 90s, early 2000s? It's a handful of places. Because I graduated high sure. school in 2008. So it's not like... I was still pre-Supreme Court. Yeah. You know, and I didn't even really come out, I think, officially, officially, like really start to be comfortable being out until the Supreme Court. So. Until the Supreme Court what? Until they made gay marriage legal in okay. 2015. Okay. Was it 2015? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that I have a huge frame of reference and maybe I'm a super late bloomer. So where were you living in 2015? Uh, Las Vegas. Okay. You knew you were gay before the Supreme Court ruling, the Oberfeld ruling. Yeah. So you must have felt it wasn't safe then before that ruling to come out. Probably. But again, like, being out wasn't a thing that was as common as it is now. Yeah. So I didn't have anybody to see do it. I had, I definitely had some religious, like, influences. Sure. You know, and so it's like, in high school, I'm like, well, how can I believe this thing? Mm -hmm. When, like, it's probably not. It's probably these other things that are making me think that I'm gay. And so it's like, what everybody else was doing was kind of irrelevant. I think maybe if I would have had, like, more positive gay people around, I would have felt like, oh, maybe it's okay. But that just wasn't happening in the time. But it I was don't think. It, it was in some places. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. If you would if there were other queer people around and out 2012, 2010, 2011 in Las Vegas, you well, probably would have felt after high school, I paid att no attention to anybody in college. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um and then I knew like you know, a sprinkling of gay people in adulthood. 
Um, but again, like my community and the people I knew is very small. It was pretty much like, here's people who you either go to school with or here's people who you work with. And that's like, you know, I wasn't out and involved in like organizations. I wasn't, you know, I did for a stint as an adult go to church and like, that's clearly not going to give me a diverse group of people. So I don't even know what the climate is like in other places to be able to say like, oh yeah, Las Vegas was X, Y, and Z. Okay. So you had the interesting perspective of having a gay person in your family. (laughs) Here's the thing. I didn't know she was gay. (laughs) It's... (laughs) God, it's so bad. Why don't you tell that story a little bit and how you didn't know she was gay? Okay, here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. That you make fun of me for saying all the time. I don't know. She. So my aunt always had a roommate. For the whole entirety of my life, we always knew them as together. Okay? I assume they were roommates. When I, cause, And no one in my family had told me otherwise. Okay? No one had said... They're gay. They're together. Like being married wasn't a thing that they could be. Um, they also didn't live in the same state as us. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like. Where'd they live? Florida. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't like there was ample opportunity to have conversations. Okay. And then I don't know, like somewhere in my early teen years, I was like, I wonder if they're gay. But I was like, you know what? Asking an older person if they're gay could be offensive. Because I knew that there were definitely some people who were like, no, no, no. You know, being gay is not it. And the people who'd be more likely to be offended were older people. And they are older people. Like, my mom was child number three. My aunt was child number two. And there's eight years between them. So, like, there's a a significant age gap. And so, no, no one ever talked about it. No one ever, like, outwardly came out and said anything. When they would come to visit, they were never necessarily, like, physically affectionate in a way in which you would know, okay, these people are a couple. Um... And so, I don't know, there was, like, I guess a weird culture in my family where it was just, like, we don't talk about it. Um, And I remember, too, like, even when my, I think it was my grandma who died, that, like, she had made arrangements for my aunt's partner to, like, come to the funeral. And that was, like, a big deal. Hmm. So, I don't, but I don't know, again, how much acceptance there was or there wasn't. I mean, obviously, there was some sort of, like, disconnect because we didn't talk about it, but she was never, like, told she couldn't come or, like, they couldn't come or they couldn't be. Like, they were very much a package deal. They did things together. They'd come visit together. So it it wasn't like, oh, we've shunned them kind of thing, but it mm-hmm. also just wasn't a, we don't, we, they don't, we don't talk about Bruno. Okay, yeah. that's what it was, you know? So do you know why they ended up in Florida? I mean, they both really love Disney, so I would guess that that was probably... <laughs> but they didn't move near Disney. No, but they also didn't... I don't know where... Here's the thing. I don't know where they were until they were in, like, where they were. Got it. So, and I know they both frequented Disney, and I know they both loved Disney, and that was a thing for them. Well, I think we can talk about that, too, and in the in the context of places that we can go that feel safe and affirming and we can get a little more into that talking well about disney, disney yes florida maybe not so much right exactly although i guess disney world in an attempt to like push back against desantis is um hosting some very large lgbt conference on their property oh that's fantastic yeah as a way to i think kind of be like hey f you because <laughs> now desantis like they had DeSantis was doing things against the queer community, and then 
Disney finally felt pressured enough to say, no, we stand behind this community. We have a diverse staff, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then DeSantis says, well, now you're no longer your own governor of your own city. Right. And it's, you know, new sheriff in town and trying to be intimidating. And now they're like, well, we're just going to have all the gay people come. Good. So. So we can talk more about that. So eventually you left Las Vegas and you moved to California. Was it easier to be out in California? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't know. I think being out is just a lot of work in general. It's a lot of work. Because people just assume, unless they're told otherwise. Assume what? Uh, excuse me. Why? Sorry. That was a solid four. It's never anything more than a four with you. I can make it sound a lot bigger when we go back and. No, that's okay. Okay, so you go to so you go to California, and you're living there. I guess that you know a lot less people there. Yeah, I mean, there was. I never when I, my last job in Vegas, and I feel like maybe this is how we, I have to compare it because. Um. The timing feels the same. Like it's it feels weird to be like, here's something that happened in 2000 versus here's something that happened in 2017. You know, mm. like there's a huge time difference there. But like, I don't know, just I feel like there was a lot more at my workplace, which was more Mormon centric. Yeah. Um, just a lot more like. Well, I don't know, because I also wasn't dating anybody at the time. I don't, It's so hard to like get a gauge on what things were because it's like well if I was dating someone and regularly talking about my girlfriend as much as I was talking about as much as someone else talking about their husband yeah like then I would be able to like better say but it's like it's such a thing that doesn't exist until it exists but you heard other people talking about their husbands if they were in a straight relationship more frequently in Las Vegas than you did in Los Angeles? Was it more normalized for people to talk about their straight relationships in Las Vegas? That would seem like a... Compared to California? Yeah. I feel like that's just a normalized thing to do in general. Okay. So... And again, like, I moved to California. It's not like I hear everyone talking about their gay relationships because, again, the population of people I know is much smaller. Like... If they happen to be in the LGBT community, cool, but like... So let me ask you this then. In the Las Vegas school district where you're a teacher um, or educator, would you have felt safe talking about your same-sex partner? I don't know because it wasn't... I never had anybody. Okay. So I don't know. I was very much so single. Yeah. For a very long time. But the climate was the did you notice a climate of being more maybe not being more more affirming but more protected in California than in Las Vegas? Um, I don't know. I think maybe people were just more open and it didn't matter as much. Like I know I had one person at my last job in Vegas who I feel like my sexuality was like confusing for her, huh. and I didn't quite encounter that so much in California. Okay. Um, but again, like, I don't know that anyone really cared enough to talk about it. So that's a fair point. So let's, let's kind of get to where we're going with this, knowing a little bit about our backgrounds now of where we lived and how it may or may not have affected, you know, our own experience with feeling safe in public, feeling safe in employment, feeling safe in the job. 
and think think now about how important it is about how where you live is so important. I feel like now it's much different than it was before. How so? Well, we've become much more vocal about LGBTQ plus issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before, like when I think it's I think it's fair to say when both of us were growing up, even though we grew up in slightly different time periods. Um, slightly. But still different. Um it was different. It wasn't talked about as much. It wasn't, you know, like it just, it wasn't such a prevalent thing in society. Mm -hmm. And that I think made it so that you didn't necessarily know who agreed or disagreed because no one was talking about it in general. Yeah. Right. And so you still maybe had, let's just say you still had 50% agreed, 50% didn't let's just say, Sure. but you didn't know that. Because it just wasn't talked about. But now, everybody and their mother has an opinion on this. And it's yeah. so... It's become a thing that's highly politicized. It's become a thing that's, you know, challenged ethically. And it's like... It's gone from not being talked about to being talked about, you know. And the 80s was when it really kind of started. And, you know, here we hit 2015 and marriage equality is a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming more prevalent. And year after year, we're seeing more and more people who are supportive of LGBT, you know, plus folks. Right. And now it just feels like there is a full on war going on. Do you th- I think it might be logical to say because we've certainly become louder in our advocacy, because more people are becoming affirming, that's what's dry- driving the more intense opposition to change by society. I don't know. Part of me thinks that everyone needs a villain. Yeah. And, you know, I think everyone takes turns being the villain. Like, I would have hated to have been Asian or, you know, from any sort of Asian population during COVID. Like, yeah. they got shit on. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think, I hope that, you know, a lot of that rhetoric has passed. I know it still goes on. Still a lot Just of Just like a- anti-Semitism still goes on. Like, it well, all and, happens. And we're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism now, too. I know, which I don't understand. Which is just... That one is, is bizarre to me. Like, like creating this enemy of people who just... That's a, that, I, don't, I don't understand anti-Semitism. I wish I did. Yeah. I know, I know it's real. I know it's bad. And, and obviously, I am definitely on the side of stopping anti-Semitism. But I wish I understood the hate that these people have towards. Yeah. But I think with the exception of, you know, people of color, specifically black people, I think the LGBT community is the community to shit on. And I think like, here's the thing. I think the difference between the two communities is that we have racism so ingrained in our society. And of course, like they take the brunt of it, you know, like. Of course. And so it's just, I feel like it's not even a thing to be yelled about because it's just such a normal thing to like be racist. Yeah. Right. Like it's just, you know, and hopefully we're making small steps towards like getting better at that. But I think because maybe there isn't as long or as deep a history of like being 
homophobic as there is being racist. Yeah. Like, you know, racism started from like the beginning of this country. Right. Um, and that's not to say that like homophobia didn't, but there were certainly a lot more black people around than there were gay people. Yeah. Like, you know, it's much easier to hide in the closet that way. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, the experience of these two communities is different. And so I don't want to say like, oh, they don't have it worse, you know, like, oh, LGBT people have the worst right now. Like, no, other communities are still affected. But I think LGBT, the LGBT plus community is what's getting the megaphone because it's just so easy to politicize and to, like, create waves and to do all of this stuff with. Because no one, you know, wants to come out and say, oh, I'm a racist. But everyone will come out and say, oh, no, we can't have gay people because it's morally wrong. What's interesting about this is there is actually a, uh, a parallel in the sense that my point is, if you're a member of the queer community, there are certain states you want to live in and there are certain states you don't want to live in. <clears throat> From my experience... Um, working with diverse populations of all kind, um, people of color, there are definitely some states that are better for people of color to live in and other ones. It's think historically, right? And think north-south historically. Um, it was much better, I'm not by any means saying it was great, <laughs> but it was much better to be a person of color in the Union than it was in the Confederacy. So even even back then, we have the parallels, and it's, it's curious because it's almost the same states that were better to be in 400 years, how long was it, 200 years ago. It's the same states that are better today for LGBT people to live than, than not. And I think, I think that's kind of the point we're getting at is, I don't know what to do about this where you live affects you. Like almost like, does there need to be another underground railroad this time for the queer population to get people out of these states of oppression? Because I mean, how else are access to medical care, access to education? I think these are all kind of being denied right now to the queer community. I blanked. It's let's go back to Disney because I think there's there's an interesting story here. There's an interesting in parallel. Florida Disney or Disney in general? Disney in general, but maybe in Florida Disney too. There, we can talk about Disney Paris who had their own Pride Night. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Let me let me kind of set that one up real fast though. So, what's interesting to me is, especially when I was first kind of coming out and living, you know, being me, I knew there were places that were more affirming than others. I knew I can go into um, a Sephora and I would feel totally safe in there because I was surrounded by people who were either femme, femme affirming or queer. That's the majority of the population that works there. In that space, I could feel safe. Could I go into Wrangler, the opposite side of the mall? Eh, eh, eh. Maybe, what maybe is not. Wrangler? Like, like cowboy clothes. Oh, oh um, Okay. You know, you know what I mean? That there's there's certain places that you can exist. Be like, here I'm safe. You know, here I'm here I'm okay. Um, and what's interesting is, I'm not sure. At least not up until a few years ago, Disney ever explicit, explicitly came out and said, "Hey, you get to be you here." A few years ago, they did kind of take a stand and say, "You know what? You do get to be you here, and we're going to watch out for you." 
And well, wasn't that like, I feel like maybe it was pre COVID, like 2018, 2019, where Disney was like, you know what? If you got tattoos, it's cool. If you got piercings, it's cool. Yeah, they definitely changed. Like, like they just overall were like, you know, we don't need to be quite as so. rigid. Yeah. And that has, you know, allowed for. That was, and for, for the cast members we're talking about changed. Guests obviously were welcome to look like however they looked before. But up until just recently, Disney staff couldn't have beards. They had to be a certain weight. They had to not have facial hair. They had to not have tattoos well, that were showing. They had to not have piercings in various places. There are still certain jobs where you have to be a certain height, weight, proportion. Uh, if you're a character, like you have to fit into the clothes. R- right. That's a that's a very small percentage of Disney employees that are actually wearing like full-on costumes. But Still, the general cast member, um, a lot of those things that were very restrictive before, they kind of said, you know what, that's kind of dumb. That's not where society is anymore. We're no longer living in the 1950s. Let's update that policy. But they also, like I said, more explicitly came out and said, not only are you safe to be you here at Disneyland, but we're going to make sure you're protected here at Disneyland. And the concept of violence at Disney... um, we're seeing it a little bit more, and I think maybe that's more of a state of the community we live in or the time we live in. Post, it's a post-COVID it's, yeah, chaos it, it is, is what it is. But Where, like, people are, like, yelling at cast members. And, yeah. Like, that's, well, you had a brawl in Toontown last year, and you had, like... But that's all been, again, po- like, something happened during COVID, where now coming out of COVID, people, I think, are feeling much more entitled Entitled to things, entitled to their opinions, entitled to be treated a certain way. Oh, and think about how flight attendants are being treated. Like, it's now garbage. commonplace for them to be attacked. Yeah. Like, what the? Which, what, it wasn't like, and I'm sure, you know, if Every you're in customer you, service, you have the like, belligerent you get person, it. Right. But it's just the amount of... Physical violence was not a thing. Right. And now that's there. Yeah. But still, Disney took the step to say, hey, you know what? Here is a safe place for you to exist. And all people need is a safe place to exist for the opportunity to kind of come out and be themselves. Because without that, it's not necessarily safe. Even if you're living in a very, quote unquote, safe, affirming place. Like when we lived down in Long Beach, it's a very affirming area. But it doesn't necessarily mean you are safe. Different kind of safety. Different kind of safety. Because there's, I mean, there's the like... Really, we're social like, safety. Really, we're talking about like hate crimes. Right. But there's that social safety, which would be like maybe where hate crimes come in. But then there's also like, oh, am I going to get mugged walking down the street? Is my car going to get broken into? Like, yeah. there's that kind of safety as well. Yeah. You know, and then there's like the emotional safety where it's like, am I going to get harassed for something? So you were mentioning Disney World and the battle going on there. So you're right. So Disney... um, there's a war on woke wokeism, right? That's the that's the word. Wokeness. Wokeness. I don't. I don't think I've ever heard wokeism. Uh, copyright, Doctor Corinne Vota, 2023. I don't think we should copyright wokeism. that. I don't think so. Okay. Either way, uh, it's just like the word moist. We don't need it. Okay. <laughs> we don't need it. So you're right. So Disney. Um, Disney, they probably employ more than 100,000 people globally. In fact, I'm sure they do. I mean, they've got just theme parks alone in one, two, three, four different countries. Yeah. And so when you think about that, um, 
when you think about that kind of population and that kind of scale, you're going to have people from all different walks of life and backgrounds working there. And in order to do what's best for their employees uh, is to ensure all their employees have a safe workspace and that they feel like, you know, people can be authentically themselves in that workspace. And that's 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 not too much to ask for. Though uh, I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that Disney as an employer is not great to some of its theme park cast members. Like there's no union. They don't necessarily get a livable wage like. We're not saying Disney is the best. No. But We're just saying from maybe a diversity perspective, like they've gotten a lot better. Yes. And, and I think I think, too, especially with some recent changes applying to non-union workers, um, they're getting a lot better at making sure their cast is treated a lot better. Um, that's not so much the, po- the, the point today, though, as much as it is um, how nice it feels. Let me ask you. So you talked about Paris Pride. What was that like for you going in there to be surrounded by people who are queer inside of Disney Park? Well, it was very refreshing because when we were walking around Paris, I was like, I don't know if we should hold hands. Yeah. So it was interesting to like have a safe space in a you know new country that didn't necessarily feel safe. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was just nice to like, n- like, and it's not like we went and made friends. It's not, you know what I mean? Like. There weren't specifically gay things that we did. It was just nice to, like, be around other similar people and be celebrated for it. You know, like, I can imagine everybody who wants to go to Disneyland after the Super Bowl, right? Because their team is there and they're with other people who are, like, celebrating their team. Or, like, I've seen so much online about people who are going to the Taylor Swift concert and they're like, oh, we're around other Swifties and it's so great to be part of this community and we're all here together and, like... Where do gay and queer people get to go where they're celebrated like that? You know, like there's no gay concert. There's no like, you know, queer sporting match, maybe softball. But like, (laughs) you know, so it was just nice to be able to like be involved with a bunch of other community who all like, quote unquote, play for the same team. Yeah. So that was nice. That same experience. And I I think you're right, because Paris itself wasn't isn't a necessarily affirming place. Um, and I'm, I'm sure like ma- most major cities, there's probably parts that are and parts, parts that aren't, but still that difference of going from a place where I'm not sure I'm allowed to exist uh, or I'm not sure I'm allowed to exist without consequence to some place that is I'm allowed to exist. I'm celebrated. I'm celebrated even. That's because that's what it was. It was really, because here's the thing, Disney, Land, I don't want to say hosts because they don't take on responsibility. Yeah. But they provide space for gay days in Anaheim. Yeah. And it's the city of Anaheim that sponsors gay days, that runs gay days. But gay days happens on Disney property. It happens in their convention rooms. It's, you know, people go out to the park. They're all dressed in red. Like, it's a thing. But Disney doesn't outright sponsor gay days. Yeah. But Disney sponsored in Paris Pride. And so it really was a, you know, we are celebrating you. Officially. Yes. We are taking a stand and our stand is you're, you are welcome here. Yeah. And why that's a revolutionary And we'll take your gay money. That's fine. (laughs) I don't understand why they're not capitalizing on that more because as gay people, we like to give our money to gay shit. We do. And that's so interesting too, because you're talking, that's one of the things I think capitalists Smart capitalists have already figured out, and maybe that's why you see corporate America so 
so in the camp of celebrating the gay community. Um, one of the things, and it's certainly not not all. There's a lot of unemployment. There's a lot of um, income disparity within inside the queer community, but also inside the queer community, there's a lot of dual income, no child houses, and those are spenders. <laughs> those are people that spend significant money. I talked to one person once who was talking about. Um, uh, I'm not sure if they work for Target or they were a consultant for Target, but Target was one of the first companies to kind of adopt LGBT merchandise inside their stores. Though some of their their options could be cuter. <laughs> Agreed completely. But the person I was talking to is like, yeah, you have dual income, typically dual high income households with no children. These are people with a lot of discretionary spending. And so at first they saw the capitalist benefit of it. And that's why they kind of got into that. Then they saw the people benefit. And as soon as those companies took that leap into the community, that's when they said, okay, there's something bigger here, actually. And that's when they learned. And that's why I think they become such vocal advocates is because they actually took the time to get to know the community. Disney took the time to get to know the community. And I'm sure we can go back to Walt, to Walt, right? I'm sure he was homophobic. I'm sure he like... That's just a generational thing. And maybe he wasn't, and I don't know, and I certainly don't want to offend if that wasn't true, but the era lends itself to thinking this. And so some of this really is time and era-based, but other other parts of this are definitely location-based. And so I think the kind of what I just wanted to draw attention on in today's podcast is where you live matters. Um if you live in a place that's unaffirming or unwelcoming, or maybe they banned your access to um, affirming care, maybe your state politicians have decided they know better than um, every medical organization. Maybe your education in school, you're not going to hear about um, queer leaders. You're not going to hear about um, queer history. And I thank God the internet's available. I don't think they're clamping down on internet being available in certain parts of this. Maybe maybe that's coming. I mean, they, maybe maybe states are going to start putting filters saying you can't access. But here's the thing: they're trying to ban TikTok. And I saw something really interesting because, and this is a little bit of a a subvert, um, but there was like that train crash in. Like Ohio, Palestine, yeah. Ohio, which yeah. took me a long time to realize that it wasn't actually like Palestine, like overseas palestine and it was mm-hmm. like okay a train crash in a different country like okay i don't know why you know everyone's talking about it it's a um, big deal but it's not American. Right. right but so i guess a lot of like where attention has come from was not the news outlets or the media but it was because of tiktok and so the um this is where it connects to what we were saying but there are platforms on the internet that are unregulated yeah. And that they're starting to realize we can't control the dissemination of information right. on these places, you know, on these different like social media apps or whatever. And that I think is why the topic of like, and of course they're trying to ban TikTok because uh, maybe China is going to like get our data. Like there's always some sort of, you know, National thing. Security risk. but the perspective that I saw was it's a way to censor, you know, and have control over what's going on and what's being said so like i don't know internet censorship could depending on what happens with this tiktok trial well that's there's a little there's a little more to i'm thinking censorship of will states prohibit access to information inside certain states 
And now these kids who don't have access to But with the internet, how do you do that with a specific state? Oh, it's very easy. That's actually a normal thing. That's it. Oh, okay. Um, Well, I don't know. I was just thinking like, you know, nationally. But here's here's the thing what's interesting about TikTok. and, And I think you bring up an interesting point. They do talk about the national security implications of, oh, China will have access to our private user data and therefore can spy on us or something, 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 something. Here's what I wonder. What's on my 17-year-old daughter's phone that's a national security risk? Like, like I, this, I, this I don't understand. If someone out there smarter than me can explain this, how them seeing... Theoretically, the app could go in and mine all the data on the phone. Well, but Dude, what are you going to mine? Like Tetris scores? Here's like, the thing, though, is that doesn't the U.S. government already have all our data anyway? Like, we give them permission for cookies. We, like, you know, I mean, if I go on to Facebook or Instagram and then later I talk about wanting a Caesar salad for dinner, I'm getting ads for Caesar salad when I go back on. Okay, so here, here's comparison, uh, conspiracy theory. Maybe it's the app they don't control, which makes it harder for them to spy on us. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Either way, um, this has been an interesting discussion about um, how where we live matters. And I'm sure this will come up to play more as we see upcoming elections and we see laws coming to pass and changing. Uh, and we will talk on more on that next time. So until then, this has been Wildly Querious. We'll see you next time. See ya.